So, Father, we do pray that as we start this book, the book of Joel, a short book, um, even quoted in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. But, Lord, I do pray that uh, you would just uh, teach us, that you would guide us. And, Lord, once again, there's something here for us. Even though this book was perhaps written 2,800 years ago, um, and we know that your word is eternal, and it is profitable, and we can gain from it even today as we make application. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we go into the book of Joel, um, it really uh, is a powerful three chapters that we're going to be looking at. And the timing of Joel is very difficult to know for sure because we only know that Joel was born the son of Pethuel. Let's read that. The word of the Lord in the beginning of Joel, chapter 1, verse 1, that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Uh, we see that uh, there's no mention uh, of who was ruling during the time of Joel's prophecy. Most of the minor and major prophets, of course, it, it speaks of a time when they came on the scene. And so we can get a timeline uh, fairly easily because we know when these kings were ruling <clears throat> as we look at the historical books. Joel doesn't mention that. We know that Joel would speak to the southern nation, Judah, so it's after the reign of uh, Solomon. After Solomon, of course, Rehoboam becomes the king, his son, and the ten northern tribes break away from the house of Judah. So as you go through those historical books, and sometimes those who are new to Bible reading and to the Old Testament, they get a little bit confused. What's the house of Israel? What's the house of Judah? What's the difference? Well, the ten northern tribes, of course, and if you've been with us in our studies in the Old Testament, you know that that consisted of the house of Israel, and then uh, Benjamin and Judah made up the house of Judah. They would go off into captivities at different times, the house of Israel, by the Assyrians uh, in 722 B.C., about that time, 720 B.C., and then it was the house of Judah by the Babylonians in about 605 B.C., the 70 years of captivity. So here, as we look at this, it's after the reign of Solomon when the nation had split, and he doesn't mention the northern kingdom. So Joel is probably in that area of Jerusalem. And he makes reference to the temple in Jerusalem. Now Joel, whose name means Jehovah is God, we also will learn that he is prophesying at the heels of a locust plague that had devastated the nation. So as we look at this, chapter 1 is going to speak of that locust infestation that came in and just ripped the land and just tore the land up and devastated the land. And then he's going to look down through time at an army is like invading locusts that are going to come into the land the day of the Lord. And we will be looking at that uh, here in just a little bit. But most scholars will debate the time of Joel prophecies, and, and they will um, date it to about 835. Most think that that's about the time of his prophecies. So we're looking at these prophecies that are nearly 3,000 years old. Just uh, David, a timeline the Old Testament is that, you know, Abraham came at 2000 B.C. It was Moses that came in 1500 B.C. It was David that came in 1000 B.C. And it was the temple that was built in about 970 B.C. And, and we go from there. And so this isn't that much uh, less than 200 years after David is on the scene uh, and the first temple is built. And it would make Joel one of the earliest prophets that was on the scene. 
earliest of the major and minor prophets, not prophets that came on the scene in their history, but we know that um, it's one of the earliest books of the prophets that we have in the Old Testament. And so he writes these prophecies. Only uh, Obadiah was earlier, perhaps. Now, if it were the year uh, 535, 835, that is, B.C., it would be very difficult time in the history of Judah. Not only because, as we're going to read of the locust plague that destroyed most of the vegetation, um, and he's going to make mention of that, but also is a very difficult time politically. And as you go through the books of First, uh, Second Kings, uh, as you go through Second Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles only speaks of, of the kings of Judah. First and Second Kings speak of the kings of Judah and Israel. But as you put it together, those chapters that in Second Kings chapter eight, um, there was uh, Ahaziah. He was king of Judah, and he was not a good king. He was a wicked king, not right with the Lord. And he would only reign for about a year. And then as you move into chapter 9 of 2 Kings, Ahaziah was killed by Jehu. And that's, again, as you read those chapters, he was one. And I think that we talked about this not long ago as we were in Hosea, that he was up north and he had killed Joram, king of Israel. And when Ahaziah's mother knew that her son was dead, uh, we know that um, that uh, Ahaziah being dead by Jehu, she would, what she did is she had all of the, her son's heirs uh, put to death. She, she began to kill the, the line of David off. So she's queen of Judah for, I believe, the next six years. She was very evil, the daughter of Ahaz and Jezebel. Ahaz and Jezebel was ruling in the northern, uh, you know, ten tribes. You read a lot about them as you go through those chapters of, of First Kings. And we know that, uh, that um, Ahaz and Jezebel brought Baal worship, uh, Astroth worship. They plunged the nation deep into idol worship. But here, as she is the daughter of Ahaz and Jezebel, her name was Ataliah, and uh, she married Jehoshaphat's son. Jehoshaphat's son, it, it almost works out like a, a soap opera. He was king in Judah, and he you know, was always you know, up with uh, Ahaz up north, trying to bring the nation together, even though Ahaz was a wicked king. And uh, so he thinks, well, we can come together if you, know, you have your daughter marry my son, and it didn't work out. So she... Uh, they were evil. Uh, she uh, raised her son in a way that brought Ahab's counselors uh, to, um, to advise Ahaziah. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, again, those counselors were very evil, Second Chronicles chapter 22. And she ends up desecrating the temple, Second Chronicles chapter 24. Well, what happened is that the sister of Ahaziah, uh, born to another mother probably, married the high priest Jehoiada, and they had a one-year-old son named Joash. And Ataliah was trying to destroy the line of David, as I said. God had promised that David, his line would be preserved, and eventually the Messiah would come through his line. And we, we've talked about that going through the Gospels. The people cry out, Son of David, Son of David. So Joash would be in the temple hidden, 
until he was seven years old. And then Jehoiadad overthrew the queen and killed her and began, um, you know, he began to be king at the age of seven and preserved the line of David. So all of this you can read about as you go through those chapters of Second King of, you know, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel and Ataliah and how she tried to kill the line of David. And it's just an awful difficult time for the nation. A lot of upheaval, uncertainty. So as we see the scene of the nation was difficult and it was hard and in Judah that we know that at this time that here comes Joel and he begins to prophesy. This also would be the time of Elijah and Elijah that are in the northern kingdom of Israel that are ministering during this time as well. But as we read in verse 2, hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locusts have eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locusts have eaten. So Joel is saying, wake up. He's saying, wake up, you leaders. You elders, have you ever seen anything like this before? And he begins to speak about this plague of locusts that was so severe that even your grandchildren and after them, their children, are going to know about it. They're going to talk about it. Nothing is like it compared to the magnitude of this plague that came through that just devoured the land. And this isn't a coming judgment that he begins to speak about here He's describing, like what we read, you know, we read in other books, you know, the prophets look down through time at a coming judgment, but he's describing a present state here. And then he's going to look down through time and compare this invading army to this invading swarm of locusts that come in and devour the land. And we know that locusts can do that. Locusts, there's, I think I read that there's like 20,000 species of locusts that are in the world in, in subspecies. So here in our part of the country, we have what's called grasshoppers. And, and sometimes the grasshoppers can be really bad and they get into our gardens. I, I don't know how bad they were this year because I don't have a garden anymore. But you know, in the years that I had a little garden, there were times and we kind of lived out uh, where we had a little bit of acreage uh, for 20 years uh, at our old house. And sometimes the, the grasshoppers were really bad. But the locusts, that species, and there's flying locusts, and there's locusts that crawl, and he describes it here. There's chewing locusts, swarming locusts, um, crawling locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts have left, the consuming locusts have eaten. So there's different kinds of locusts, and I think the biggest locust that exists is like almost 10 inches long. Can you imagine a locust uh, with a wingspan that I forgot how big it is? But sometimes the locust infestation can be so bad, it's like a cloud. And that's what's described here, a cloud coming in. And they devour everything. They chew everything up. And it happens in in all parts of the world. They become so thick that they black out the sun like a military unit. Uh, And the sound of their wings can be very, very deafening. Uh, It was right before covid that I remember reading in in Africa and Ethiopia in, in that area there was a real bad uh, infestation of locusts that were going in and devouring the land. And, um, and they were making their way up towards, more towards the Middle East. But 
it can be really, really bad, and it can happen. Um, you know, there was uh, in Mexico uh, not long ago, uh, a decade ago, that there was a bad locust infestations, and you can read about those. But as we continue through Joel, verse 5 of the first chapter, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. So why is he addressing the drunkards? Well, you drunkards are going to weep because the vineyards are going to be wiped out. And, and he's going to go on and describe how these locusts are going to ruin the olive trees, the fig trees. It's like an invading army coming upon the land. Verse 6, for a nation has come up against my land, strong without number. Uh, his teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and he has fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree, has stripped it bare and has thrown it away, and its branches were made white. So he begins to talk about, you have ruined my vine, my fig tree. And there is symbolic language that is here because as we have talked about what we are going to see in a couple weeks in the Olivet Discourse is Jesus is going to make reference to the parable of the fig tree. When you see the fig tree put forth its branches, or its leaves know that summer is near and my coming is very near. And we will talk about that very specifically. So Israel, as we saw in Hosea, we saw it in Hosea how that Israel uh, was likened to the fig tree. And I believe it was in chapter um, 9 that we saw that. And he makes reference here that you have come against, uh, laid waste my vine. Ruin my fig tree is what the Lord says. Um, and I think that is specifically a reference to the nation. And my nation is like a fig tree. It's my fig tree, my vine. And we've talked about that again, even as Jesus gave that parable of the wicked vine dressers. Isaiah chapter 5, that God planted a vineyard that was supposed to produce fruit unto him, but it produced only bad fruit. And so here is this swarm coming up against the land, and it's against my vineyard, my fig tree, stripped that bare, thrown it away. Its branches are made white. And we continue here in verse 8 uh, as we read, Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. So what were they to do? And here Joel says, as the swarming locusts, crawling locusts, um, consuming locusts, uh, chewing locusts that are coming upon the land. Uh, they're going to eat the vineyards. They're going to eat the, the fig trees. Uh, um, it's all going to be bare. He's going to continue to describe it here. What is it that you're going to do? Well, you're going to end up, first of all, you're going to lament. And as you see the condition of the land, lament, mourn, uh, with the emotion and the passion of a young woman. But he's dealing with Judah that needed to turn back to the Lord. They should look at their spiritual condition and they should mourn about it. And as we see the spiritual condition of what we see around us more and more, it should cause us to lament, to mourn. And we've talked about that even as we went through Hosea, who was, you know, heartbroken in the situation that he was in, but he was experiencing 
what God was feeling when, when he was heartbroken because the nation had committed, you know, idolatry and fornications, you know, uh, um, adultery spiritually. Uh, Hosea had uh, experienced that with his wife Gomer who went out and committed literal adultery and played the harlot physically. And he was heartbroken, and he goes and buys her back. But he's feeling the things that are going on in the heart of God the Father. He sees the house of Judah, the house of Israel, his people that are going off in idolatry. And Jesus, we discuss how he wept over Jerusalem because they would not come to him. How I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing, and now your house is left to you desolate. So he's weeping over Jerusalem, and we should lament, and, and it should break our hearts that as we see the condition of our nation and our community, those that we love and care about that are rejecting the Lord. So he says, you are to lament, and in verse 9, for the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord because there is no grain. There, there's no more vineyards that are around. They've been cut off from the house of the Lord, the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined and the new wine is dried up. The oil fails, and of course oil, because there's no uh, olive trees and there's no olive oil that is there, and they can't make oil. And oil in the Old Testament, uh, it speaks of uh, the Holy Spirit, but the oil here, the olive oil that they would use, and it was an important product for them, the wine that no longer is around uh, speaks of, it symbolizes joy. There's no joy in the land. It's just uh, grief and devastation and destruction. And it's all becoming because of the spiritual condition of the nation. They had turned away from the Lord. What well, Ataliah, what she was doing, trying to kill off the line of David, you know, being the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel uh, the, up north who were you know, just plunge Israel deep into idol worship. These are not good times right now. They're very dark times for both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But he goes on in verse 11, Joel, as he speaks the word of the Lord, Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field, has perished. The vine has dried up and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple trees. The trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. He mentions the, the palm trees, pomegranate trees. Uh, Israel is very fertile. And, and even today as you go there, you see all these things that are grown there. The apple trees up north in um, northern Israel. They, they grow apples, and it's some of the best apples in the world. Watermelon, you know, some of the best watermelon. We've eaten it when it was harvest time, and, and it's just fantastic. It's wonderful. All that is withered away. Um, all that is gone, as he writes here. The farmers had reason to mourn. The land was completely stripped. And, of course, you know, we, can, uh, we may not be able to fully comprehend when a locust infestation goes in and just eats everything green, how it strips the trees and everything. But it might be something like a mighty windstorm. Uh, we just had the hurricane um, come through Ida, and we're just beginning to see some of the pictures of the trees that were just stripped bare and, and all that. And by the way, we need to pray for them down in Louisiana, um, New Orleans, um, and in that area that have been devastated. Homes ruined, and, and we look at that, and we mourn and we grieve for them. Terrible, terrible storm, a 
four hurricane. And when it hit on land, what, what really uh, was devastating is that it continued to be a Cat 4 hurricane for hours, for like four or five hours before it began to weaken. So that's a long time to have 140-mile-an-hour winds that are just destroying things. And I think over the next few days, we'll really get the picture of the destruction that happened, and we need to pray. 16 years to the day that Katrina came on uh, shores about the same path, New Orleans. And so um, complete destruction, and here they are mourning. Um, and everything stripped away. In verse 13, mourning for the land continues as gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Well, you who minister before the altar, come lie all night in sackcloth. You who minister to my God for the grain offering and the drink offering withheld of the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So God is calling the leaders of the nation to turn to him and to mourn for the land and to repent. Sackcloth here is mentioned, and of course sackcloth is uh, associated with mourning. So fast is associated with, with repentance, verse 14. So Joel chapter 1 is telling us that the nation needed to turn back to the Lord, call a sacred assembly, that is, come together and repent, call the others, elders, come to the house of the Lord, come to a place where the people could meet with God and, and um, you know, cry out to him. And it reminds me of what we are to do in the day in which we are in. As we see things going on around us, as we see that um, people are getting further away from the Lord as a nation, spiritually we are in decline, morally we are in decline, and, and it concerns us. And what is our reaction? Our reaction, our primary reaction should be that we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our nation, praying for our community, praying for those who are linked to us in our lives, friends, families, co-workers, neighbors, whoever they might be, that they would turn to the Lord. And the Christians, it's so important for us to be praying for our leaders, uh, to be praying for our nation. Uh, we need to be in prayer, calling out to the Lord. And that is our weapon. Our weapon is not carnal, but spiritual. And as we pray and as we stand for righteousness, um, that we call out to him. And it reminds me of how important it is for us to do that. And we are called to do that. We are called to do that as we travel into the New Testament. So pray for our nation, because the hope of our nation is not a political party. And listen, I'm not saying that, that those things that we look at politically, economically, socially are not important issues. Of course they are. But we are to look at it through the lens of Scripture and a Christian worldview and to understand that there is a problem, and that is a sin problem. And the sin problem and the spiritual dimension that is out there, that there are forces of evil that are trying to ruin our nation and coming against us as Christians, and we battle it not with, uh, against flesh and blood, but, uh, but with a battle of the Spirit. As we put on the whole armor of God, as we go to prayer, as we have God's word, the sword of the Spirit, it's very important for us to keep that perspective and be praying for our nation because the hope of our nation is a spiritual awakening. I really believe that. And I believe that if we do not repent as a nation, if we keep going in the direction that we're going, it's going to be really bad news. And it's going to go, it's, it, we think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. 
And, and we need it to, as Christians, continue to be light, to give truth, to, you know, uh, give the gospel message, tell people to repent, turn to Jesus. And we need to be ones that are praying and, and going before the Lord. And I, and I hope we remember that. And alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, there in verse 15, uh, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. So there's is the first mention is Joel introduces the day of the Lord. It's a very important term. And, of course, if you've been with us in our studies, even as we're going through the Olivet Discourse or through our studies through prophecy, we know that the day of the Lord is a period of time. It begins with the tribulation period, extends seven years, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ, and extends through the millennium reign. So here, the day of the Lord, we're going to see it speaks of a time of judgment and then will be followed by a time of blessing. And so it is a period of time, again, that is described to us the first seven years, well, it's described to us all of it in the book of Revelations in chapter 6 through 19, speak of the tribulation period. And then chapter 19 of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then chapter 20 is the millennium reign. And at the end of the millennium reign, when the heavens and earth that we now know are going to pass away, and then the great white throne judgment, that ends the day of the Lord. But he's going to look down through history now. And just as judgment would come to the land because of the locusts that are coming in, stripping the land and devoured, uh, there will come a time in the future that uh, the same thing is going to happen as we begin to look at verses 17 through 20. But as we go into chapter 2 next time, what we're going to see is it's describing not locusts, but it's describing an army that is coming. It's like a swarm of locusts that is coming in the day of the Lord. But let's read verse 17, um, well, verse 16 for uh, not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down. For the grain has withered. How the animals groan. Uh, the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. And so as we look at this, the land's going to be devastated and there's going to be drought. There's going to be, as verse 19 says, O Lord, to you I cry out, for fires have devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you and the water brooks are dried up and the fire has devoured the open pastures. You know, verses 19 and 20 really kind of spoke to me as I was looking at this um, once again, right before I came up to teach here and um, is it speaks of the land being devoured because there's no vegetation but also going on at this time there's drought there's drought going on and it says fires have devoured the open pastures flames have burned the trees of the field the water brooks are dried up I think about what's going on in our own country right we hear so much what's going on in our own country about you know Lake Palomita at its lowest level in, in ever recorded. It, the water's so low that they're beginning to, to worry about that there isn't going to be that water needed as, as a water source for much of the Southwest, including California. Uh, and the boat docks are so low that they can't even get the boats in it. And, and so severe drought that's been going on for over 20 years 
in the western part of the nation. Of course, the fires in California and Oregon that they say are probably going to burn till you know December when the wet season begins to come in. But it's a concern. You know, streams are low up in Montana. Uh, I'm one that likes to uh, fly fish, and and being up in Wyoming uh, in the summer for a short time, I was up uh, around Cody, around Yellowstone talking to some of the, the guides in the fly shops, they were saying that up in Montana, that they were coming down into Wyoming because the rivers are so dry and the fish are stressed. And we hear about it here in Colorado, the brook's drying up. And I wonder, is the Lord, you know, doing something here? We, we attributed it to man-made climate change. But here was something that was going on with the locust infestation, drought that was going on, fires that were going on, and the Lord was trying to get a hold of a nation, get the attention of a nation. And I'm not going to pretend to know the sovereignty of God, but I do know that he will use those things to try to save a nation. And, and we need to turn to the Lord. We need to be praying, Lord, heal our land. Bring the rains, Lord. Uh, we need you. And so it's interesting to see those things and make the comparisons of what is going on. And I believe that as we, you know, I hear so much about, well, the Lord's bringing judgment. It's judgment. The Lord wants to save a nation. And judgment is going to come in the day of the Lord, that he's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. We're going to see that here as we go into chapter 2. But here's the thing that we need to remember and that is he wants to save a nation. And he desires for us to turn to him. And that is a lesson that we have talked about going through, you know, Hosea, going through Joel, going through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Turn to me, turn back to me. He wanted to save them, but they refused to do that. He wants to save people. He wants to use us to give the gospel in the days in which we are in, to be praying. So he has things for us to do. And this tells us something. This tells us how the Lord desires for us to repent and turn to him as a nation, as, as a people, as a community, as, as individuals as well. Because we're seeing drought. And it's not just physical drought, but it's spiritual drought. We're seeing that, that fires taking place. And it's just not physical fires, literally, as we see the western United States. The last two summers, that it's been so smoky, that you can't see anything. And last summer we had ash falling on us. And we've gotten rain here in Colorado. We're thankful for it. But, you know, there are, there's fires spiritually that are going on all around us. As we talk about lawlessness and, the, and, and talk about the birth pangs and the upheaval and the distress of nations with perplexity of nations with distress, that is, that Luke talks about, the signs of the end, nations facing challenges that they don't know what to do, and the world's looking for a leader to come on the scene, which he will come on the scene in the day of the Lord. But may we be praying and seeking the Lord during this time. You know, as I read this, I think about Isaiah, and we'll end here for tonight before we go into chapter 2. Because the chapter 2 will talk about the day of the Lord and then a call to repentance and the land then being refreshed because they turned to the Lord. So there's so much there. But in Isaiah chapter 13, in verse 6, Isaiah, he comes on the scene, you know, 100 years later after uh, uh, Joel does. And he talks about the day of the Lord in chapter 13, 
wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. Using that term, it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows. Does that sound familiar? Uh, these are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. Birth pangs will take hold of them. They will be pain as a woman in childbirth, and they will be amazed of one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel in both wrath and fierce anger, to lay land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. From stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause its light to shine. And I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked from their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud. I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal uh, more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophar. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. And so here that he, here is Isaiah looking down to the day of the Lord in that time of judgment where God's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And all these things are going to be happening. But right now, we're seeing the pangs uh, here as uh, he mentions that. Um, and uh, sorrows, like a woman in birth, uh, you know, uh, labor pains. And, and be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Interesting things. This is where the world is headed to. So I want to end with this tonight to remind you that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And as we are in the world, to once again be used of the Lord and sensitive to the leading of the Lord. But this world is not our hope. And to be reminded of that. And I'm so grateful and so thankful that we can rejoice because we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And God's you know, kingdom is going to be established the kingdom of Christ here on this earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him. And so all these things will be fulfilled. And this is where we're headed. What, you know, when will the Lord come for his church? We don't know. But we're seeing the birth pangs, aren't we? So much has happened, hasn't it? I think you would agree with me. How quickly things have changed and, and um, just in the last couple years. And so we are to be praying. We're to be watching we're to be sober, we're to take heed, continue in the scriptures, continue looking at these things. And then when we see the labor pains, the birth pains, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice. For your redemption, my redemption draws near. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these lessons. And even though we just went through a chapter of Joel, it's, there's so much that is there. Lord, we see that there's drought around us spiritually in the land, people that we care about and love that there's famine, you know, there's a lack of bread, um, a, a desire and a hunger for the word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be used of you to, to give that message of hope, of the gospel, a message of, of God's uh, redemption that comes through Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus, that, Lord, that you would open up hearts and eyes of people around us that we minister to, and, Lord, that our own hearts wouldn't faint. But we'd be strengthened. And the way to be strengthened is to stay close to you. Lord, just allow you to minister to us and to be used in these days. And to keep looking up. Keep looking up. And to look up and rejoice. 
So, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. I pray for those who are in Louisiana uh, who have been devastated, homes washed away, uh, torn apart by this hurricane. We pray that um, the relief would come. Uh, we pray that the Christians would be there in the midst of it to give words of hope, encouragement, and practical help. I thank you for those ministries that are planning right now, even as we speak, heading down there to be a help, just as it was with Katrina. And Lord, I pray that we would be used in these days to be a blessing to others, whether we're talking about fires in the West that have destroyed even whole towns or those who are going through difficulties, that, Lord, that there's ministry to do. And so help us keep our eyes open. And, Lord, stay close to you and look to you. I look forward to Sunday as we talk more about these things. And, Lord, I just pray that you bless the rest of our week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And amen. And amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday. Hope to see you soon. Have a good weekend if you're not going to be with us, if you're gone this holiday weekend. But be safe and looking forward to when we do gather again next time.